Are there grads in the house tonight? I cannot believe that you guys have one week left with us after tonight. Well, after tonight, you have one final Wednesday night. That's kind of depressing, maybe kind of exciting. Um, some of you moving off to school real soon or moving on to the next thing. Um, you know, in other news, stores are starting their back to, back to school sales. Uh, how do you guys feel about that, just in general? Yeah, it's all right. Man, it's, it's getting there. It's, it's moving. I can't believe how fast this summer is going. Grads are leaving us. Sales are happening for school, all sorts of things. Tonight, later on tonight, we're watching Moana. So you can hang around, hang around with us. Um, This morning, we're watching the very DVD that we own in our house that belongs to my daughter, Charlotte, who is in love with Moana. Um, And and this morning as I was leaving, I was like, oh, I need to bring Moana because we're watching Moana at 707. I'm like, and I, I thought that to myself. And so I said out loud to my daughter, Charlotte, I'm like, Charlotte, could we borrow your Moana? My 707 students would like to see it. And she goes, oh, sure. And she goes rummaging through like the little cupboard where we actually keep toys. So I'm like, wow, she has Moana, the movie stashed away in this cupboard with all the rest of the toys away from the other DVDs. I'm like, that's that's interesting. Um, and then she's, as she's rummaging through, she goes, she stops for a second. She goes, oh, do you think they're going to want to see her oar as well? And the reason she asked that is because when we were in California last week, she got Moana as her souvenir. And Moana, is the oar in here? This is my wife's bag. Uh, there's, no, there's no oar, but Moana carries it. Like she has this oar that she can like hold on to. And Charlotte was... And, Unfortunately, we didn't bring the ore. I just thought that was really funny because she was, like, she was like thinking that you guys wanted to see her actual doll. So I decided to show it to you. There's Moana. Now at the end of the night, you can just go home because you've already seen Moana. Um, just kidding. We'll show the movie too. Um, all right. So we've been in this summer series of parables these last few weeks. We talked about Luke 15 and all the lost stuff, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and how God's heart is for those things that are lost. Like it's, God not, does not reject or push away those who are lost or those who may, may be far from him. He embraces and he actually pursues and he cares deeply about the lost. Then last week, Rick talked about the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, Rick Berry, our, our middle school pastor, came um, and, and spoke to us last week while I was away on family vacation. Um, and and uh, he, he was talking about this unmerciful servant, the idea, like, basically, I mean, look, when we've received mercy, we ought to be passing that on to other people. Um, that's, that's ultimately what we ought to be doing in our lives. And tonight, we're going to spend some time on a very well-known parable. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 10. That is Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles. Turn to that spot, and that's where we're going to camp out. We're, we'll jump around just a tiny bit tonight. But generally speaking, we'll just have you stay in Luke chapter 10 for the rest of the evening. And this is a really famous parable that happens here, okay? Very famous parable in Luke chapter 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. We'll break this parable down a little bit tonight and grab some things out of here that we can learn and take with us tonight. So here's what it says, in, starting in verse 25 of Luke, Luke chapter 10. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is going around, and he's getting tested by religious teachers, tested by Pharisees, 
tested by the Sadducees, tested by the teachers of the law, tested by the priests, tested by the Levites. He's being tested everywhere he's going. And they're testing his teaching and trying to trap him sometimes. There's, this guy's not necessarily, if you look at his questions, they sound fairly honest, his questions. So we're not 100% sure that he's trying to trap Jesus or trick Jesus, but sometimes they are. But he's trying to test him. He's trying to test him out and see if he's, he, if he's true or if it, what he has to say is worthwhile. So he stands up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now he has an answer in mind that he's, as he's going into this. And Jesus answers them um, with a question, as he so often does throughout his teaching. A lot of times people will ask Jesus stuff, and instead of just answering, he, he answers with a question. He's like, let me answer your question with another question. You know, he doesn't actually say that, but he just does. He just answers it with another question. He says this in verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And this expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when he says he's he's an expert in the law, it's talking about the Old Testament law. It's not talking about like a lawyer per se. It's talking about Old Testament law. So he's an expert in the Old Testament. So Jesus asks him, what do you see? And he gives this answer. Jesus says this, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So this kind of sets the scene here. There's this expert in the law, there's, this, there's Jesus, and they're having a little bit of an interaction. Again, Jesus had a lot of run-ins with the religious elite. He had a lot of run-ins with the teachers of Israel. He had a lot of run-ins with the, the, the kind of this, the religious leaders and teachers of the time. When this guy sort of falls into one of those categories. And so they're having this interaction. He's sort of challenging. And we see here that this man has kind of an ulterior motive. In his heart, he wants to justify himself. He wants to justify himself. And I think for so many of us, that's true. That's where we come from. We approach life. We approach faith with this idea that we want to justify ourselves. Before I I met Jesus and started what I would call a personal relationship with Jesus, before that happened for me, I thought that like decent people went to heaven. Basically, anyone who was a decent person went to heaven. And I thought it was about kind of justifying ourselves. Most people think at some level, at some degree, that going to heaven is about justifying yourself, living a good enough, good enough life. Like God's going to take all of our works and all our good works will be on one side of a scale, one of those balance scales, and all our bad things that we've done will be on the other side, and they'll kind of weigh out. And if, if the good things are heavier, we get to heaven. If the bad things are heavier, we go to hell. And that's, that's what a lot of people think, some variation of that. We want to justify ourselves. And so this guy's saying, okay, if, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, and what, like, what do I need to do? Who's my neighbor? So I do. I really love my next-door neighbor. Like, that, that's it. Maybe that's what the guy's thinking. Or I love the people I'm in community with. But I don't love everyone. And so Jesus, he has this setting the stage, and he decides to teach this guy using a story. Once again, parables are, are stories that have, that, they are earthly stories, but have like an internal or a spiritual purpose. They're earthly stories with a purpose that help us to understand something about the kingdom of God, something about God's character. They're earthly stories with, with a spiritual meaning. And so here's what Jesus says in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's walking away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like up on a hill. So whenever they talked about going to Jerusalem, they talk about going up to Jerusalem. They don't necessarily mean north. They just mean up 
the hill to Jerusalem. When they say going away, they say going down. So a man was going down away from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So he kind of glanced at him. He crossed over to the other side and just avoided him and kept on walking. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the, by on the other side. By the way, both of these people have roles in the temple. They would go and they would do, perform different types of duties in the temple. All right? So priests and Levites had similar yet distinct roles in the temple. So they both walk by and pass on the other side. But Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, this teaching... When it fell on the ears of those listening, the first time Jesus spoke it out loud, it was shocking. There were aspects of this that were just shocking because of their culture, because of the things that were going on in their current time. It's a little bit, it's a little bit confusing for us. We don't see it necessarily on the surface, but for them, a lot of these things were shocking. We'll go over why some of that is. But ultimately, I just want to ask the question, what do we learn? What do we learn from the story of the Good Samaritan? First of all, we learn that God values mercy. God values mercy. Now, we see from this story that it's easy to miss the heart of God. Because Jesus tells this parable. Now, it's a hypothetical, but I think he means it uh, with some, obviously, he, he means a lot of things that he says are parallels to the world around us. He, he talks about these religious leaders who missed and didn't get the heart of God correct. He didn't, they didn't understand the values that God really had. They didn't really understand what Jesus was all about. They didn't understand what God the Father was all about. God values mercy. He values love. He values justice. He values us reaching out to people around us. We're trying to teach our kids that. You know, it's tough to teach people the values uh, of mercy and charity and of justice and all of, the, of, all, of, all of those things. I mentioned this past week we were visiting my family in California. And uh, for a weekend, we went to a place called Santa Barbara. It's a nice little beach town. Um, it's a pretty cool place, perfect weather, all that kind of stuff in Southern California. And we were walking through downtown Santa Barbara. We had dinner in town. We're walking through back to our car where we parked quite a ways away in a parking garage. And as we're walking, we pass McDonald's. As we pass McDonald's, there was a homeless man standing outside of the McDonald's. And the homeless guy, um, he, he's just kind of standing there hanging out, and he asks us as we're walking past if we would buy him a burger and fries. And at first, like, I didn't hear what he said at first, but my, my dad stopped, and we're like, we're like, okay, let's buy him some burger and fries. But then I realized in my hand, I'm actually carrying um, a lot of food that came out of, of the dinner that we had, like that was left over, mainly pasta that Charlotte had ordered and not eaten, because that's what kids do. When you get older um, and you start buying food for your kids, they never eat it. Um, it's a little bit frustrating. But Charlotte was envisioning eating this pasta on the plane on the way home from California. Now, we weren't leaving for another week, which we tried to explain to her in the restaurant that the pasta was not going to be any good in a week when we were leaving to head back to Michigan. But she, she still had this picture in her mind of, of eating that pasta on the plane. So I, I, I kind of bent down and I said to Charlotte, I'm like, look, 
Honey, um, there's this man over here, this, this homeless man. He doesn't have a home. He, he doesn't have dinner. And he needs some food. And he asked us for some food. And I was like, what do you think about maybe sharing your leftover food um, with, with this gentleman? Because we'll make sure that you have every meal that you need for the whole trip. Um, but, but he needs a meal. So what do you think about sharing with him? And she, I can see like her little wheels turning. She's like standing there. She's thinking. She, look, she looks up for a minute. And about five seconds later, she looks at me decisively in the eyes and goes, half. Just like that. With her hand, half. Like just so sure of her answer. And, and at that point, like that's the point where as a, a parent, you're like, you're like trying not to laugh, you know. And my, my father, my dad, her grandfather did not help at all because he just started cracking up and walking away. And, like, and so I'm like... Okay, um, and then I bend back down and I start trying to explain to her, like, look, uh, you know, half, like, he could use the whole thing and, like, you don't really need half and it's not really going to be good on the plane anyway. And eventually she goes, okay. And so I'm like, all right, let's walk over together. Let's give it to him. And so we hand it off to him together. I think she felt good about that and maybe learned a little bit about God's value of mercy. Here's what God wants from us. We see it in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, the Old Testament, and, and some of these verses are quoted that we'll go through. We see these verses repeated oftentimes in the New Testament and things like it. He says this in Micah 6, verse 8. He has, showed, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to perform all sorts of rituals. He doesn't want us to to dress a certain way that shows people how spiritual we are, because some of the guys in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament times, in the Old Testament times were doing that. He doesn't want us to pray big, loud, big-worded prayers in front of crowds in order to draw attention to ourselves. He doesn't want to give in order that we would be recognized. No, he wants us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. To love mercy. That's what Jesus gives as the point of this whole parable. Hosea Chapter 6, verse 6 says, For I desire, this is God talking, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. In the Old Testament, there was an offering system. People would bring their offerings, and, and people would come to him and, and make sacrifices. And God's saying, look, like, I mean, God really set up the sacrificial system, so it was his command, but he's like, really, ultimately what I'm looking for is not just the sacrifice. It's not just the act of, of giving a sacrifice or a burnt offering. What I really want is your heart. Like, what I really want is actions that, that really back up what you're saying. I desire your mercy, not really your sacrifice. Even though he set up the sacrificial system, that's not the important part. He wants a person's heart. He wants their life. He wants them to live a life of mercy. God values mercy. That's what he values out of his people. The second thing we learn is that God calls you to love everyone. He calls each of us to love everyone around us. The question that kicked off this whole story, remember, the question that kicked off this whole story is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So he's having this conversation with this expert in the law, and the expert in the law says, who is my neighbor? When Jesus says, yeah, make sure you love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? He says, then Jesus goes on to tell a story where two Jewish leaders ignore a Jewish person. Okay? Two Jewish leaders walk past and ignore a Jewish person. But then a Samaritan helps him. Okay? In that day and age, when he said that, when he said that the Samaritan was the one who helped him, so verse 33, it says, but a Samaritan, the whole crowd gasps. So let's just do that. But a Samaritan... 
oh my gosh. A Samaritan helped him. Yeah. <gasps> Here's why. Here's why. This is why this story was shocking, okay? Because Samaritans, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. They, they had slightly different interpretations of things. All right, that's for one thing. The second thing is that Samaritans were, were like nor- the northern kingdom of Israel, and they had been taken off, and they had been kind of intermixed with other people. And, um, and the, basically the line, the family line, the genealogy of Samaritans was, was, became mixed over time. So like they were no longer pure Jewish people. That's how the Jewish people saw it anyway. And so there was like, there's actually like this rift that has its, has its roots almost like in a form of racism towards one another and different beliefs. And like, so it's, it runs deep. Like this is serious. Like there was violent acts uh, against each other. There were fights and things like that um, and many battles and whatnot. And, and these two groups didn't get along. In fact, if a Jewish person wanted to, to walk north, oftentimes they would go miles out of their way just to avoid Samaritan territory. Like that, they just didn't want to be around each other. They didn't like each other. And so this idea of, of a Samaritan helping, I mean, this is like the twist in the story. You know, like when you're watching a good movie, there's always something that surprises you, always something that shocks you, something that you're like, oh, I did not see that coming. Oftentimes, that's the, that's the makings of a good story. Remember like the first time someone read you uh, The Ugly Duckling? Do you remember that? Like, it's like a simple story, right? The first time, you're like, oh, man, that poor duckling, it's so ugly, and everyone hates it, you know? It's like, it gets beat up. Like, the, the original version of the ugly duckling is actually, I mean, it's pretty graphic for a little kid, you know? It's like, they are mean, and this duckling is getting bullied. And then later on in the story, it's like, all of a sudden, the duckling looks in the water, it's like, oh, I'm a swan, you know? And it's like the most beautiful swan. And... Like, that's the twist. You're like, man, I didn't see that coming. This ugly duckling, like, became the most beautiful swan, which, you know, swans are way more beautiful than ducks, you know. Ducks are just, they're just there. Speciest, I think, is what it is. Um, I mean, I, listen, don't get me wrong. I love, I love ducks. Like, ducks are cool. The Part of the reason I love ducks is because they always travel around with their, with their spouse, you know. Like, you see a duck, and you look around, and you're like, where's its wife? Where's the wife, you know? And, um, and she's always nearby. One time my wife saw two ducks that were a couple getting into a fight about when they should cross the road. And they were like chirping at each other. And the, the male would walk out and then the wife would kind of straggle behind and she'd go, meh, 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 and he'd kind of walk back over to the side. <laughs> and then, he, then she went to walk and he's like, you didn't walk for me, I'm not walking for you. She sat there and she'd go, meh, 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 and then he walked out into the road. It's just like a real marriage. Um, <laughs> Anyway, how did we get here? How did we get here? I don't even know. I mean, this, this story, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking to the people who are listening to it. They're like, it's the Samaritan. And, and ultimately, it's shocking because God calls us to love everyone. And that key idea is everyone. It started with this question of, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story. He says, hey, this Jewish person gets robbed and beat up. He's left for dead. Two Jewish leaders walk around him. They ignore him. Then a Samaritan person walks up, doesn't, hold on, doesn't ignore him, gives him pieces of his own clothing to be his bandages, 
gives him his own oil and wine as, as something to kind of purify and, and disinfect the wounds, puts him on his own donkey, gives away his own money to care for this man. He gave of himself. And here's the kicker. He gave of himself for a person who he knew probably hated him. Like, that, is, that is intense. That is intense. But does it sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? I mean, that's what Jesus came to do. Right? That's what Jesus came to do. There's one more thing I want us to learn. God values mercy. God calls us to love everyone, even our enemies. Even our enemies, even those who probably hate us. He calls us to love them. And number three, love requires action. Love requires action. One of the issues at play here is that there are times when we, we say that we care about something, we say that we care about someone, but if you really were to investigate our actions, the way that we live our lives... It shows a different story. We don't really show it. And maybe it doesn't show a story at all, but we're not really showing that love and demonstrating that love. And a lot of times as our culture talks about love, it's like this this feeling that that builds up, this feeling that we have when we see someone or when we talk to someone, and that's what love is. And love is much, much more than that. Love is different from that, in fact. Um, Love ultimately, according to Scripture, really shows and reveals itself in action. Love shows itself in action. So instead of love being a feeling, love's a verb, according to Scripture. And when we say that we care about someone or something, that, is only, that only comes to fruition. That only rings true when we, when we live out our lives and act that way. And that's, what's, that's what's vital. In this story, only the Samaritan stepped up to the plate and did something about the issue. And again, that's, that's what happens when Christ died for us. That's what, that's what happened when he gave his life for us. He showed and he demonstrated his love. Romans chapter 5 tells us that. He demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's exactly the type of sacrificial love that Jesus calls us to. That's the type of love that he lays out here in this passage, the love of a person who sees an enemy and gives of himself sacrificially. And he's the one who is truly the neighbor. So let your love be something that you live out. Not something that you say you feel, not something that just is contained in feelings alone, but something that's an action, that you would love people around you through your actions. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, I thank you for this well-known but still just radical example of the Good Samaritan who didn't just talk about it or think about it but did something, Lord, to demonstrate his love for someone else, even an enemy. Lord, I'm thankful for, for your love for us. Though, Lord, oftentimes we live like your enemies. Though before we knew you, God, we were living like your enemy. You still died for us at that point. You still gave of yourself. You still took on our sin. So, Lord, tonight, I just pray that you, would, that you would make that real to us, that we would understand and that we would recognize the radical love that you have for each of your children. Lord, and that we would take the example that you've given to us and that we would pass on that type of love to those around us. God, that we would love unconditionally, that we would love our enemies, that we would love our family members, that we would love our neighbors in the literal sense, but, God, that we would expand that definition of neighbor to be anyone around us as you told us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.